Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Morning, CityWalk. Morning to those of you that are watching online. Hope you had an awesome week. And uh, it's hard to believe that we are, this is, because next week we're going to have a Sabbath Sunday, and we'll tell you a little bit more about that next uh, in our announcement. But this is our last time on a Sunday to get together in 2021, which is hard to believe. Uh, This Thursday, or whatever the 23rd is, is that Thursday or Friday? I probably should know that. Uh, This, uh, the 23rd. Uh, we're going to have our Christmas service, and so you've heard a lot about that. Yesterday, we, did a, uh, we went around and, and put some door hangers on a bunch of doors in our, the neighborhood around here. We've got some invite cards out there. We've got a few left, and so make sure you grab some of those. It literally is never an easier time to invite somebody to church than for Christmas service. And so 23rd, we'll have a 5 o'clock and a 7 o'clock want to encourage you to invite somebody and come. It's going to be a good time. We're going to do candlelight. Hope to not burn the place down. Candlelight services for kids is like the greatest service of the year. To get, I remember as a little kid just playing with the wax. It was, it was great. Uh, but, but yeah, we're going to have a good time. For parents, it's a little stressful. Uh, going to have a good time uh, on the 23rd. And so invite somebody to join you. Uh, One of my favorite traditions, and and you have a lot of your favorites, and maybe you would say this is a favorite for you too. Uh, One of my favorite traditions around this time of year is we do, on Christmas Eve, we do a family white elephant gift exchange. And uh, we look forward to this because we got a lot of creative people in our family. I'll just say that. I'll I'll put it nicely. Uh, We have some creative people in our family. And so, man, there are always some really crazy surprises at the Family White Elephant Gift uh, Exchange. One year, about two years ago, this beautiful lady showed up in a package, and we all had nightmares for a few months. Uh, This was a white elephant gift that, that we somebody gave. And then last, I think it was last year or the year before, I got a really practical gift. And uh, I think we have a picture of the really practical gift that I got, little little putting set that you can use around your toilet. Uh, and yeah, so I mean, just some really, some fun things, but then some practical things too. But man, our, our family, it's, it's uh, super creative. And so you have to go into these white elephant gift things with a little bit of a strategy. And so for us, on Christmas Eve, you kind of have to watch as people come in and what package they have in their hand because you know there's certain people that are going to put some weird stuff in there. So I want to know, like, hey, who brought in what? You also kind of look at the size of the package, even though they could totally be faking you out. You kind of look. You also know in your family, like, who are the nice people in our family that even if they put something weird in there, they're going to put a $15 gift card to Starbucks because at least I'll come out ahead on that. So you kind of look at that. For some people, you actually, in our family, you might want to smell the packages before you get to opening them because of the creativity of our family. But, but no matter what... 
you are always going to be surprised. This happened to me, honestly, we, we just did a, a white elephant gift exchange with our, our staff team this past Friday night. And I, thank you, Josh and Julie Ely, uh, my package, I, I picked up this bag. It was in just a normal bag. So, you know, nothing crazy. Normal bag, didn't weigh too much, didn't smell weird. And I'm like, I, I think I was number three. So, I, you know, third person, I grab my bag and I'm sitting in a chair. I go to open it. There's two goldfish in a goldfish bowl and food. And I'm like, what? No, like, we, we have three dogs and a cat already. And now we have goldfish. My daughter was thrilled. But, but there's always surprises. There's always surprises in those white elephant exchange kind of gift things. And, and that's just kind of how Christmas is. And you know that, whether it's a white elephant gift exchange or it's maybe something else in the, in the Christmas season. The Christmas season brings with it a lot of surprises. And honestly, it always has. It has since the very beginning, since the very first Christmas, there's been a lot of surprises. I mean, think back to the very first Christmas. Even if you didn't grow up in church, you, you, you've heard, you know, kind of the story of the first Christmas, but you think Mary and Joseph were a little surprised, like, hey, we're trying to find a place to stay and have our baby, and there's no place. So little, maybe a little surprised. I mean, there's these shepherds out in the middle of the field that are just hanging out and, and kind of doing what shepherds do in the middle of the field in the middle of the night. And, and they got surprised with this angelic announcement of this baby that's kind of being born close to them. And, and even in that manger, in that cave or stable where the baby was born, there was this you know cute baby and animals and this young couple, but... There were things going on in the unseen world that would surprise all of us. There were lots of surprises on that first Christmas because while that baby was being born, while the animals were there, and why maybe the scene from the outside looked fairly calm and mild, there was a lot more going on. There was actually a war going on that we couldn't even see. A war that, that started thousands of years earlier, and we've talked a little bit about this, a war that started with the very first people on planet Earth, Adam and Eve. See, Adam and Eve, the first people on Earth, they had a, a perfect relationship with God. They had a perfect relationship with each other. They didn't understand what shame was. They didn't understand evil. They didn't understand sadness. They didn't understand manipulation. Life was perfect. But then Satan came in the form of a snake, and he, he had one goal. His goal was destroy, to destroy and disrupt what God had done and the perfection that God had made. And so he used a strategy that he continues to use today, and he used a strategy to get Adam and Eve. His goal was to get them to question God. Would they question God? Would they stop trusting that God was good? And, and if, if he could get them to do that, the perfect world would end. And that's what happened. That's exactly what happened when they decided to listen to the lies of the evil one instead of trusting God. At that point, sin entered into the world. But God wasn't surprised. I said that last week. God wasn't like, oh man, man, we didn't see that one coming. What are we going to do now? 
He, he wasn't surprised. He had a plan. He had a plan that would usher in what we celebrate at Christmas. And he talked about it in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3.15, a verse we, we looked at last week that really is the first Christmas verse in the whole Bible. It says this. This is God talking. He says, I will put hostility between you and the woman. He's talking to Satan and to Eve. He says, between your offspring and her offspring, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. He's basically saying, he's saying, hey, hey, you, Satan, you've, you've messed up kind of what we were doing here and, and you've gotten them to question me and now they're sinning to the world, but I'm not surprised. I've got a plan. And here's the plan. And he says, hey, Satan, you, your followers and Eve, your offspring, your children are going to be at war. There's going to be hostility between you. But one day, Eve, someone's going to be born. One of your great, 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 great grandchildren is going to be born. And Satan, you're going to make him suffer a little bit. You'll, you'll cause some suffering to this one that I'm telling you about. But Satan, you need to know this. This one that's coming, this descendant of Eve that's coming, yeah, you're going to make him suffer a little bit, but he is going to destroy you. He is going to crush your head. And God was pointing that very early, early on in the, the scriptures and in the history of the world, he was pointing to what we celebrate at Christmas. See, when Satan saw Jesus in a manger, he saw the beginning of the end for him. He, he didn't look at the manger as a, well, that's sweet, that's cute, uh, that's going to be fun to do plays 2,000 years from now with little kids, it's going to be sweet. No, no, when Satan saw the manger, he saw the fulfillment of what God had said, that one is going to come, and you're going to make him suffer a little bit, but he will destroy you. He will crush your head. And that's what Satan saw. And though the enemy is defeated, he already knows his time is short. He's been defeated until he is destroyed. He has the same goal. He has the same goal that he had with Eve and Adam and that he had, he's had for thousands of years leading to this morning. He has the same goal. He wants to hijack God's plan. He wants to hijack what God is doing. He wants to destroy. And he uses the same tactic. He uses the exact same tactic that he used with Adam and Eve. His tactic is he tries to get you and I to question God. Does God really mean? Would God really say? Why would God do that? And when we begin to believe those lies, Satan's plan works. And so here's the question. Here's the question that we begin to ask ourselves over the last two weeks as we have been thinking about what would it be like to have a different kind of Christmas, a kind of Christmas where we really understood the season and we took in what this season was really about. We've asked ourselves this question, and, and the question's simply this. It's, what lie are we believing? And let's take the word why. What, what lie are you? What lie am I believing? What lie are we believing as part of the evil one's strategy to pull us away from what God has for us? I mean, whether we like it or not, no matter, no matter if we're a follower of Jesus, no matter where we are as it relates to faith, if we're honest, we all struggle with believing lies. 
Every single one of us. And this affects our relationships. It affects our level of anxiety. It affects how we use our resources. It affects what we think about God. It affects so much more than we probably think it affects. So the question is, what lie are we believing? One of the lies that I think every single one of us believes at some point in our life, and maybe even today, is the simple lie that my way is best. One of the lies that doesn't matter if you're two, if you're 22, if you're 82, one of the lies that we have all believed, no, no matter if you're a person of faith or whether you're kind of investigating this whole thing about faith, whether you even believing throughout our life is that my way is best. And maybe you push back, maybe you're watching online or you're here this morning and you kind of push back you're in your heart, you're pushing back a little bit like, What's wrong with that statement? What's wrong with the idea that my way is best? I know myself better than anybody. I've put myself out and been hurt by other people. I've been hurt by organizations. I've been hurt by family members. And so I kind of just, I just kind of do me, man. I do things my way because I know me and my way is best. And so maybe you push back a little bit about that. And I get it. Because for some of you, you have. You've been hurt by other people. You've been hurt by organizations. You, you've tried to trust other people. And you've maybe even in your mind tried to trust God. And you felt like the, maybe the, the, the carpet was pulled out from under you. And so for you, it's like, man, I'm, I'm not really going with anybody else's way. I'm just kind of dictating my own life because my way's best. I've gotten hurt going the other ways. And here's my, my question for you. Would you be willing to consider the thought that maybe your way isn't best? I'm not even asking you to sign off on that. But would you be willing to just consider the thought, whether you're watching online or you're here this morning, that my way isn't best? And maybe even a tougher thing to admit and even a tougher thing to consider is, what if my way isn't really my way? What if what I think is my way and I'm going to do me and I'm going to do things my way? What if I'm not really the one calling the shots even in that? What if my way isn't really my way? See, would you be willing to just consider? See, Jesus talked about this a lot. He actually talked about this in probably the most popular passage of Scripture, the most popular thing that Jesus ever said, even in secular literature is the Sermon on the Mount. It's been used by several different religions, and, and it's, it's, it's a well-respected piece of literature. Even if you don't believe the Bible, there's a lot of people that appreciate the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, he, Jesus talks about life in his kingdom, and he contrasts it sharply with another path. Jesus, he talks about, hey, here, here's the way I, I've, I've done it, and here's my path, and here's what it's like in my kingdom. And then he contrasts it with, hey, this is another way, and this is the way that even some religious teachers of the day were teaching. And, and he did it this way. He, he would say stuff like this. He'd say, you've heard it said, basically, hey, this is what you've been taught. This is the way that you're going but then, he, then you see all through the Sermon on the Mount, but then he says, but I tell you, you you've started this way and you've been taught this way and you're on this path, but, but let me 
have you consider another way because I'm going to tell you something different than the path you're on. I'm going to tell you something different than even the religious teachers of the day have told you. And he contrasts that. And at the end of this message, at the Sermon on the Mount, he's, he's done, almost done with it. What he does is he uses a, a very normal and known method of teaching in Judaism and, and Greco-Roman philosophy. Is he Basically, he says, there are two ways. And this was a normal way that they taught. They would lay out two ways as a way of application. And he says, let me tell you about two ways. And here's what he says in Matthew chapter 7. You can look at it on the screen or you can look in your Bible at Matthew 7, 13. Jesus says this. He says, enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life and few find it. And so Jesus, after he's taught this Sermon on the Mountain, he's talked about how life in his kingdom is different than the path and the way that a lot of people choose. He, he ends his time by saying, let me tell you about two paths. Let me use two gates as a way to tell you about it. He says there's this narrow gate. And this narrow gate is, is narrow because there's only one way through this gate, and it's through me. In another passage of Scripture, Jesus, he, he said it this way, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says there's a narrow gate, and it's narrow because there's only one way in, and it's through me. And the narrow gate, it leads to a path that at times can be challenging and even tough. I mean, just straightforward. It's tough sometimes. But the narrow gate, he says, leads to life. So narrow gate, only one way in. It's a challenging path, but it will lead to life. But then he says there's also this other gate. And it's this wide gate. And there are, there's as many ways through this wide gate as there is people. Like there's all kind of people that are walking through the wide gate and taking this path. And, and in the short term, this seems like the easiest path. It seems to be the path where I'm in charge with no one calling the shots except for me. And all types of people have chosen this path. I mean, there's even religious people that have gone through the wide gate and are on this path. People that would be considered religious. But he says this gate... Unlike the narrow gate that leads to life, this wide gate that many people are on, that leads to a way that many people are on, in the end, it leads to destruction. And then Jesus goes on in verse 15 and he says this, he says, be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. Basically, Jesus is saying, hey, there's a lot of people that they, they look good on the outside and they're going to teach you about all the great things about the wide path. And man, and they're, they're false prophets. They're going to teach you wrong things. They're going to deceive you. They're not going to be what they seem and they're going to push you to be on that wide path. And, and we get this. We get this. And, and don't matter if you're how old you are, doesn't matter what life experience you have, every single one of us, just practically, we know that we can find someone to make any bad decision we make sound good. Like, like I, can, I can go find somebody. I can find a friend. 
I can find a teacher. I can go find a celebrity or a person of influence that will put wind in my sail even when I'm choosing a destructive path. And Jesus says, you you just need to beware of that. Beware of that. He's talking mainly about teachers, but you can apply it to a lot of things. And then what he does is he's talking about these teachers. He says, hey, have you looked at the trail behind your teachers? Have you looked at the trail behind the people that are encouraging you to go onto that wide gate and that wide path? Because if you haven't looked at the trail and the fruit, you might want to check that out. He says this. He says, you'll you'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? And then he just like, Jesus makes an obvious statement. He says, in the same way, every good tree produces good fruit. One plus one equals two. But a bad tree produces bad fruit. It's like, okay, that that makes sense. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Basically, Jesus says, the only thing that's good about a bad tree is you can use it for firewood. He says, so you'll, and he closes it up with this, you'll you'll recognize them by their fruit. There's two paths, there's two ways. One's a a narrow way, one's a, a wider way, and a lot more people are on it. And there's a lot of people that are telling you why this way is best. But before you jump onto that wide path, Look at the lives of the people that are telling you to get on that wide path. And just before you dive in, look at the fruit. Because bad people will produce bad fruit. Good people will produce good fruit. It's, you know, one plus one equals two. Not not super hard to understand. He's basically saying, hey, be a fruit inspector. He's referring to false teachers But you can apply this to others in your life. He's like, man, look at the fruit of people's lives. You're you're not there to be a judge of them, but you should be able to see the obvious. You, You don't need to be their judge, but you can look at their life and see what's obvious. And so as you you look at your coworkers, they've chosen a path. Look at the fruit. You 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 have people in your lives, even relatives, that have chosen a path, and just check out the fruit. You, you have people that you allow to teach you and influence you and look at the fruit of their life. They've chosen a path, so make sure you look at the fruit of their life. Does their teaching, does their life produce fruit that is consistent with what Jesus said was important now and in eternity? That should be the question. I mean, Great, follow this person. Oh, take this person's advice. That's great, but make sure you look at the fruit. And does the fruit of their life, does the fruit of their way, does it lead you to do and follow Jesus and love what Jesus loves and hate what Jesus hates? Just look. He's just saying, hey, just just look. Before you dive, look. About this time, the Religious leaders are probably feeling pretty good because Jesus usually flat calls them out. And so he's been kind of gentle. This Sermon on the Mount thing, he hasn't really called them out. He's, he's talked about what they believe, but he's kind of been gentle. And so they're, they're feeling okay because these, these religious leaders that are listening to Jesus, man, on the inside, they're full of pride, hypocrisy, and selfishness. But on the outside, they, man, they, they play their A game on the outside. 
And so he, they're, they're probably feeling okay, but then he, Jesus says this. He says this in, in verse 21. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Here's what Jesus is saying. Hey, talking about, about the narrow path doesn't mean you're on it. You can talk about the narrow path all you want. You can talk a good game. You can look the part of someone that's on the narrow path. But there's going to be a bunch of people that say, I'm on the narrow path. And they're going to say, Lord, Lord. And he's, what? I don't know who you are. And he says, he goes on, he says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy on your name? Didn't we drive out demons in your name? Didn't we do miracles in your name? Basically, like we did some varsity level work for you, Jesus. Don't you see? Like we, we, we know the, the, how to talk. We've even been involved in like, dude, some prophecy and some casting out demons. Like we're doing the big stuff. And Jesus goes on and he says, here's what I'm going to say to you. He says, I'm going to announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. See, so you did a lot with your hands, but you never gave me your heart. You, you knew a lot about me, but we have never had a relationship. See, I'm, I'm looking for a transformed heart that leads to a life of submission to me. But what you've done is you've made Jesus, he, he's like one of the tools on the tool belt of, you know, there's 15 things on it. Yeah, you, you've, you've done some stuff for me, but you've got about 17 tools on that tool belt, and I'm just one of them. We don't have a relationship. I'm just like a convenience for you. I'm just when you need me, you pick me up. I'm the tool you use for this thing. And Jesus is saying, you, you got this whole thing wrong. I never knew you. We never had a relationship. You never gave me your heart. Yeah, you did a lot of stuff. You talked a lot about the, the right way, but you never gave me your heart. And then Jesus finishes as he's been talking to them about the narrow path and the wide path and your way and my way and and he's talked about the fruit of that. And just he's had this conversation. And right at the very end, he ends by talking about, he talks about houses. And he talks about, he takes these two paths and he compares them to two foundations of a house. Jesus was the master teacher, master storyteller, and so he, he knew things that he could talk about to relate important and big truth to their lives. And so he talked about paths because they walked everywhere. He, he talked about, now he moved in and he's going to talk about construction and homes and the foundation of those homes. And, and he says this, this is how he closes it. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man. Not, not an intellectually wise man, but a spiritually wise man. People who have heard all that I've said on this Sermon on the Mountain, that you've heard what I've talked about, about now these two paths that you have to choose from. People that really listen and really take this to heart, they're spiritually wise people. And he says these spiritually wise people, they have built their house on a rock. 
The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house. Yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. The foundation determined the strength of the house. But then he contrasts the the foundation of the rock, and now he says, let me contrast it with another foundation. He says this, but everyone who hears these words of mine, you've heard the same things and doesn't act on them. and basically kind of blows them off. You're like a foolish man. You're a spiritually foolish person is what he's saying. You, you've built your house on the sand. And the same rain came and fell and the same rivers rose and the winds blew and pounded that house and it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. See, when challenges came, the the one house collapsed while the other didn't. And here's what it didn't. Here's what it had nothing to do with. It had nothing to do with what they looked like on the outside. They both probably looked great. But, but the collapse had nothing to do with the appearance of the house. The collapse had nothing to do with the obstacles, the challenges. They both faced the same rivers and the same wind. They both faced the same challenges. The obstacles didn't determine what happened to the house. What determined the outcome of the house was the foundation. And Jesus is saying, hey, I've told you about this wide path. I've told you about this narrow path. And, and what these paths lead to. And now I've illustrated it again for you. And I've told you about this home that's built on sand that looked great on the outside. But when the challenges came, it, it was very important what it was built on. And there was this other house, same challenges, same. It might even have looked worse on the outside. I don't know. But it didn't collapse because of its foundation. It says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished. Like, what? They were astonished by his teaching. Because he was teaching like one who had authority. And not like the scribes. Not like the other religious leaders. He was teaching in a way that had a, an authority they had never heard. And it, it made them really listen. Maybe you're here today or you're watching online. And for you, you've, you've never thought about it this way. Like, like you've never thought that maybe my way isn't best. Maybe I should even consider. I've never even considered that maybe my way isn't best. I've just always kind of done things my way and hoped for the best. Maybe you're even a religious person. And you, you do the deal and you, you, man, the house looks good on the outside. And you come to church and you give some money and you do the deal. But... In your mind, and you would never say this out loud, but man, you kind of do your thing, and then, yeah, Jesus is part of it, and God's part of it, but you've never went all in. You, you kind of use Jesus a little bit, but at the end of the day, you still do things your way. I mean, if, if we're honest, a lot of us have been there. And, and maybe you and I have never really considered, is my way best? See, Here's the thing, and here's the thing about believing the lie that my way is best. And this, man, might be hard to even hear. Your way really isn't your way. Your way is the evil one's way. 
See, see Jesus up front, he, he, he talks about the two ways. And, and he, he talks about the narrow path. And up front, he tells you, this is a, a tougher path. This is a narrow path. Not, not everybody goes on this path. There's not, ever, there's not a lot of ways to get onto this path. It's a tough path. But he says that up front because he knows this is for your good and his glory. So, man, he, he tells us up front, this is a tough path. It's a narrow path. But this is good. And it's going to bring you glory. You're going to be thankful you're on this path. But then there's this other path that, guess what Satan doesn't tell you? He doesn't tell you about this path because he knows this path isn't good for you. And so, man, he, he lets you get on that path. He let, man, all your friends are on that path. It looks good. And he lets you think, oh, I'm calling the shots. And at the end of the day, he's, he's good with that because he's calling the shots. And you think you are. And he's not going to say anything because he knows where that path leads. And so if he was straightforward about that path like Jesus is straightforward about his path, you might not stay on his path. So he just lets us continue to move down the, the, the wide path with all the people. And there's tons of people that tell us that we're doing the right thing. And they, they tell us that, man, this is a good path. And he just lets us ride. But all the while, he's calling the shots. And we don't know it. Which leads us back to an obvious question. Whether you consider it a lie that my way is best, let's get real practical. So, so even if you don't even buy into that statement, let's, let's end this by getting real practical. Do you believe your way's best with your money? Do you believe your way's best with your marriage? Do you believe your way's best with your parenting? Do you believe your way's best with your level of anxiety? Do you believe your way's best with how you deal with your sin? Do you believe that your way is best by what you're going to do in eternity, like your plan for eternity is your way best? It's just honest questions. And the as you think about it, you just have to look and like, how's my way working? How's my way of parenting working? How's my way of using money working? How's my way in my marriage working? How's my way of, of dealing with my anxiety? How's that playing out? How's it working? What's the fruit of that? I mean, what fruit have we produced? And I have to look in the mirror. What fruit have I produced when I've done things my way? Is that the fruit I want? See, if you believe your way is best, what's keeping you from believing that God's way is best? Like, if that's you and you'd say, yeah, Chris, if I'm honest, I'm, on, I'm watching online or maybe I'm here this morning. If I'm honest, dude, yeah, I've been, I've been walking through life and with my way is best. And why, just this is a question, why wouldn't you believe that God's way is best instead? Like, if you're honest enough to say, yeah, I am, man, I, my way is best, I've been doing things my way, what has kept you from abandoning that and saying God's way is best? And can I answer that question for you? Because I, I can tell you the answer. It's one word. Trust. Trust. If we're honest, at the end of the day, I don't trust God. For some, and maybe we wouldn't say it this way, but for some of us, we think God is holding out on me a little bit. So if I go all in for him, I'm going to miss out. 
He's holding out. For some, it's, we think, man, if I, if I really go all in for God and if I really believe that his way's best in my marriage and my money and, and, and really every area of my life, if I, if I really do that, uh, he's going to ask me to do something I don't want to do. And so we don't trust him, if we're honest. And so we, we, we find ourselves, man, going on to different paths and kind of doing things our way. But, but the thing is, he, he already told us up front that his path isn't going to be the easiest. But God believed in his path so much that he was willing to send his son Jesus to die on the cross, raised from the dead, just so we would have the opportunity to get on that path. And do things his way. Not because he's this principal upstairs in heaven saying, I want everybody to do it my way. He knows what's best for us. He loves us just like you love your own kids if you're a parent. You want what's best. And in many cases, you know what's best for your kids. And that's God. And so he's trying to make a way for us to to follow his path. And it's not an overstatement to say everything rides on what you and I do with the lie my way is best. That's not an overstatement. Everything rides on whether or not we believe that lie. Your family and the future of your family rides on what you believe about that statement. Your impact in the world rides on what you believe about that statement. I mean, it it will affect how you impact the world. Your eternal destination rides on whether you believe God's way is best or whether your way is best. It it impacts a lot. And so maybe you're here or you're watching online and you're you're saying, Chris, I got invited to church or I'm watching on Facebook or I'm, I'm on YouTube and I don't even know if I totally buy into the whole Jesus thing. It's kind of Christmas time, so I figured I would try the religion thing out a little bit or maybe get my couple services at church in before I take an 11-month break. And so I'm here, but to be honest, I don't even know if I buy into the whole thing. Well, if that's you, let me ask you, how's it been going doing things your way? Just an honest question. And would you be willing... Just would you be willing to set your way aside and do things God's way? And say, you know what, I've been going on this path, but I'm going to move away from that path and I'm going to go down a different path with my life. And that starts, if you're not a follower of Jesus, that starts with just beginning a relationship with Jesus. Sometimes guys like me make it super complicated And it's not complicated. You don't need to think about the seven things you need to stop doing. Or man, am I good enough for God to even have a relationship with me? Or do I have to kind of go clean everything up and then come to God? No. It starts with you coming before God and saying, God, I admit to you I've been doing things my way. I've sinned. I've disobeyed you. I believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave for me. And today, I want to leave the path I'm on, and I want to start a relationship with you. Come into my life and change me now. That's where it starts. And what's cool is God says, hey, you, you, you let me in. You, you let me. You let's start a relationship, and then I will transform you. And I'll work on I'll help you with all the challenges of life. 
And so if you're here, you're, you're watching online, maybe that's you. And you just say, hey, I've been kind of doing things my way. And I honestly didn't intend to change that today. But now as I think about it, I, I want to stop going down that path. And I want to start a relationship with Jesus. And you can do that right in your seat, right where you're at, watching online. Maybe you're here and like many of us, you, you're a follower of Jesus. There's been a time in your life where you've made that decision to follow Jesus. But if we're honest, and I'll put myself right in this boat, man, sometimes we struggle still. We still kind of struggle with that idea that is my way maybe better than the path I'm on? And yeah, we're, we're, we're on the path with Jesus and we're doing, doing things his way, and, but, but we look at the other path and, and we have times in our life where we, I don't know, that path looks pretty good and I, I don't know and I, I don't know if I can really trust God with this. It, it might be easier to just at least start to live a little bit like I'm on that other path and, and we struggle with this if we're honest. And it leads us to, to cut corners in our life. It, it leads us to take steps to gratify our flesh even even when we know, like, I already know the end of this story, but we still, we, we still try to gratify our flesh. Like, like ah, I know you're enough, God, but I just... And there's a struggle. If you're honest, it's, there's a struggle. It's a, it's, until we're in heaven and everything's perfect again, it's a struggle to continue to believe, God, your way's best, not mine. And so here's, here's, here's what I want to leave you with. If you're if you're here and, and you're, or you're watching online and, and you're a follower of Jesus and you want to grow in this because you find yourself, uh, is, is God's way best? I want to encourage you with two things. First thing is this. I want to encourage you to identify and replace the lies you're believing. We've talked about this. This series, we've talked about this in other series. It, 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 this doesn't happen by accident. If, if I'm going to stop believing lies, I have to identify them. And then I have to not just quit believing them, I have to replace them with truth. I have to stop believing something and I have to start believing something else. I need to replace that. I need to identify and replace the lies we're believing. It's not going to change just by you coming to church and saying, oh, that was good. I needed to hear that. No, it's going to be the hard work of you saying, you know what, there's some lies I've been believing, and I'm going to go to God, I'm going to search His Word, I'm going to spend time with Jesus, and I'm going to replace those lies with things that are true. And it comes down to time with Jesus. You've heard this before, but when someone goes to uh, figure out if a, a bill is, if people that study dollars and study what counterfeits are, they don't study counterfeit bills. They study real bills. Because here's what they've said. They, hey, if, I, if I've studied the real bill, if I know what the real thing looks like, it's going to be super easy for me when I see something that's not real, when I see a counterfeit. And, and when we spend time with Jesus and when we're kind of allowing our minds to be filled with his truth and his word, it's going to be much easier for us as we walk through life to say, oh, that's not true. That lie, no, I can't, I can't go that route. That's a lie. That's a lie. But when we don't spend time with Jesus, it's, it's really hard to trust somebody you don't know. And so when we don't spend time in the truth, it's real easy for us to be pulled aside by the counterfeits because we don't even know what the truth is. 
So identify and replace the lies we are believing. And then the last thing is this. If you're serious about walking down the right path and, re- and really living your life as, as if God's way is best. The second thing is this. Remind, we got to remind ourselves about the fruit we want to produce. This is about legacy. This is about reminding ourselves, what kind of man do I want to be in 30 years? What do I want people to say at my funeral? What do I, what do I want? How generous do I want to be able to be with my finances in a few years? What, because the, the things that I do now and the, the, if my way's best now or if God's way's best, it's going to determine the fruit of my life. And so I have to remind myself about the fruit that I want to produce. I have a, I have a document. This, it sounds kind of weird, uh, but I have an actual document. I have a, it's, called my, it's a life plan. And it has every area of my life and goals I have in every area. And the very first page of that life plan is what I want the people in my life to specifically say at my funeral. So I have a paragraph for Lori. Paragraph for my kids. I have a paragraph for you. What I want to be remembered for. And I read through that document on a regular basis because it helps me say, you know what, when I start to go out my way, this is, I want different fruit. And here's what I found. For, it's hard to do this by yourself. Like you, you can try to remind yourself of the fruit and you can try to, all right, I'm going to be faithful. But, but here's what we need. We need time with other Jesus followers. And that helps with that. I need you to remind me what type of fruit I want to produce in my life at the end of my life. You need somebody that loves you enough to remind you on the days you're starting to go the wrong way. That's not the type of fruit you want. That's not the legacy you want. We need that. That's why here at City Walk, we talk about city groups all the time and the importance of getting in a group. I've even said it this way. If you only have one hour to give to church a week, don't come on Sunday morning. Go to your group because we need other people. To get into our lives and on our our good days, we can encourage them. And on our bad days, they can encourage us. We're not meant to do this alone. But one of Satan's strategies is to isolate us and, and help us think, hey, no one else struggles with this. If you were to say anything about this struggle, you'd lose all your friends. You'd be laughed at. You'd be gossiped about. If that's true, you have the wrong friends. If you have a few people that you can get around that love Jesus, that know they're not perfect, they know you're not perfect, and you spend time with them, it helps remind us of the fruit we want to produce. So we started this series by saying, we want a different kind of Christmas this year. And a different kind of Christmas is going to happen if we're willing to identify the lies that we're believing and replace them with truth. And the fruit will show the decision we make. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the truth of your word. And every single one of us, including myself, whether we're watching online or whether we're here this morning, every single one of us struggles with believing lies. And Lord, I pray that people in this room and people watching online would just in this moment identify the lies that they're believing and make a decision to stop believing those and replace those with truth. 
Lord, I pray that you would just be at work in us. With every head bowed and every eye closed as we, we close out. Maybe you're here today and you're watching online and you've never started a relationship with Jesus. And for you, that first step is to maybe just get away from that wide path and, and go and, and believe that Jesus loves you, that he died for you, that he rose from the grave, and, and just invite him into your life. Just do that. You can do that right where you're at. And if you have questions about that, or if you've made that decision today, there's a little decision card right in front of you. You can fill that out, put it in the offering basket on your way out, and Man, we'll call you. We'll connect with you. We just want to help you with that decision. Maybe you're here, and this is probably most of us, and we say, you know what? I'm a follower of Jesus, but Chris, there are times where, man, I, I find myself believing lies, and they do affect my relationships. They do affect a lot of my life, and I've seen fruit that I, I don't like. Maybe for you, it's you just want us to pray for you. You just want us to pray as you seek to identify those lies in yourself that, that God would help you with that. And there's a little card in front of you that just says pray. And if you'd like us to pray with you, then you just, just write down, hey, pray for me. I'm believing this lie. You don't even have to put your name on it. And we'll pray this week for you. You can put it in the offering basket on your way out. We want to go to battle with you. Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts and that we would just say yes to whatever you're telling us. In Jesus' name, amen.